And so law is a construct. It's just an overlay. We're not supposed to be relating to it anymore, but it takes time to get past. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex, Kent, and Nathan, are seeking to recover from bad ideas about the Christian faith and recover what's good and wonderful about it. Tonight, today, this week, we have a special episode for you. It is a recording we did in uh, our home group, our community group. We invited Nathan to come and lead us in a discussion of Romans 7 because we've been studying through or reading through and discussing Romans together. We just were arriving at Romans 7, and it occurred to me that we should ask Nathan to come and lead us through the discussion since he has teachings on it, and we've discussed some of that recently in the podcast, so our listeners will recognize some of these same themes. I think it'll be worth your while to hear um, some of those themes gone over again, as well as to hear other members of our group asking their questions and interacting with uh, the material. So uh, without further ado, enjoy. Been reading Romans, and we're here, here at Romans chapter 7, and it's a much debated, much contested passage of scripture often misunderstood. I'm not sure I understand it. We, I asked Nathan to help us. So Nathan, without any further ado. Yay. Okay. So are we going to talk about the whole chapter? Or you want to just hit the contentious stuff or what do you want to do? Okay, then. <laughs> okay. I have one question with two definitions. All right. The question is, how ought we to live the Christian life? How ought we to live the Christian life? Part one of that, one way it could be understood is, uh, by what standard should we live it? What method should we use to live the Christian life? Okay, so how do you discover the right way to live the Christian life? That's one. How do you live the Christian life? Part one, what's the standard? Part two of this, how do you live the Christian life? What is the means? How do you find the wherewithal to do that standard? So the question is, how do you live the Christian life? What's the standard? But where do you find the wherewithal to live that standard? So someone want to go question one, part A. What's the standard of the Christian life? Want to tackle that one? Not Alex at all. <laughs> to chime in. I'm I'm not actually gonna say what I think. I'm gonna I have a two part question. No. <laughs> no, I, I was actually gonna kind of reflect something that I, I, I hear a lot of people saying. And so um I think a lot of people would answer uh your your first part of the question, how do we what's our standard, uh, and say, well, the Bible. I think a lot of times what people will say is, well, Scripture, I look at the Bible, I follow what Scripture tells me to do, you know, for all the various circumstances of life, and that's kind of how I get my guidance. And I think most people would shake their head and say, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. Michelle. So I think the standard is... Jesus. Isn't that always the right answer? Okay. Yeah. Yes, it must be Jesus. It sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. Um, so how did he live? How did he treat people? 
back to that old bracelet, you know, what would Jesus do? But um, more the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. Anyone want to argue with the with the answer, Jesus? Okay. <laughs> but you have another nuance. I'm not going to argue, but I think follow Jesus because he said, follow me. And then as far as the word, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then encapsulated in that is go out and make disciples. Not converts, not, you know, commitment cards, but disciples. Love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. All right, Matt. You can introduce yourself too, so you'll be named on the podcast. So I think I would say the um, it's it's listening to the Holy Spirit as He leads us. Um, I, the Holy Spirit would never say anything in contradiction to the Bible, but the, the the moment by moment leadership and communication from God of how to live. This is how you. This is what you do in this situation. Well, thank you for those answers. I think they're all. Right in in a lot of ways, except for Alex's, it's totally wrong. But yeah. <laughs> right, and it really—I uh, joke about Alex's being wrong, but most of these other answers come back to Alan's Alex's answer. In that, even if you follow the Holy Spirit, you're determining what the Holy Spirit's saying because you've read the Bible. And if you are wanting to be like Jesus, well, where do you encounter Him? But in the Bible. You know, so you're reading Sermon on the Mount, you're reading the Gospels and stuff, and, you, and you're getting an exemplar, same with the idea of loving others. I mean, obviously, those commands are in the Bible. They're something that um, the definition of love is going to come from a, a biblical source. So, yeah, um, but I, I think that most of us live the Christian life where we do have some rules, some things that we just don't want to do or we think we shouldn't do. And we have some things that we think we should do, and those probably came from the Bible or from our teachers or from Christ as our example, or maybe a specific application of love. But we distill it down into kind of a, a, a list, maybe a bulleted list. It may not be written down somewhere. But uh, Paul seems to be saying that it's important for us to get away from a litany of prescriptive behavioral guidelines, rules. And for him, and, and I don't, I think we struggle to appreciate just how radical his gospel was because we think, well, the Old Testament's over and we don't have to follow that. But for Paul, it was very fresh. <laughs> he was raised in this, he was trained in it. It was to, to step away from that rail was like moral suicide. I think, you know, it, it's difficult for us to really grasp the depth uh, of trust you have to have in Jesus to say, you know, I think I will have this pork chop, right? You know, I, I really do have a lot of things to do on Saturday. Yikes, right? I mean, we don't appreciate what it took, okay? And so the first part of Romans 7, Paul is trying to get us past a, an allegiance to the law. And, and really, Romans 7 is about getting over this method of religion or of personal reform that responds to a list of prohibitions and requirements. So what I'm saying is the Christian life is not about following a list of prohibitions and requirements. And what's really important 
I think important and powerful about this, if you read the first, say, six verses of Romans 7, he's trying to get us over this idea that we owe something to the law, right? And so I'll just read it since I have the mic. He says, do, not, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Right there, I want to I stop real quick. What are we in this? The husband or the wife? In this metaphor, the wife, right? We're the, we're the bride of Christ, right? So who dies? Right. Jesus dies, but, but he's saying it only has authority over someone as long as that person lives. Okay, he says, the, uh, right, a law only has authority over a person as long as that person lives. And then he says, for example, um, by law, a, a woman is married, to, and she's bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sex with another man, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay. I want to focus on verse three in the middle. It says, if she, if she has sex with another man while her husband is still alive, she shall be called an adulteress. So adultery is something, it's a violation, right? Um, and the spouse, certainly a, a magnanimous spouse like God could just forgive the adultery, don't you think? I mean, do you think we've been unfaithful to the covenant with God by sin? Have all of us done that? Isn't it, can't God just forgive us and we can move on? Right, right. So let's, let's just take a human couple, okay? And I, I'm sorry it's a bit sexist, but it's the Bible. <laughs> you know. So we don't really consider if the man cheats. We're just considering if the woman cheats in this case, okay? And it, you know, it's a patriarchal society. We are depicted as the bride. Um, but there was a lot more stigma when a woman cheated. It says, she shall be called an adulteress. You see, if a woman cheated on her husband and her husband took her back, would that take away the scarlet letter? No. Even if he took her back, she will still be called. I want you to just let that sink in. And so people say, well, why couldn't God just forgive us? Why couldn't he just, you know, overlook it? Paul's trying to give us the importance of, of 
moving on into a different echelon of relationship with God. So, if she's called an adulteress, how can you get the scarlet letter off? Exactly. She said, kill the husband. All right. So Jesus is God. And really in, in scripture, he's the one that's crying out to Israel and saying, come back to me. So what if he loves us enough to become a human and die to dissolve that marriage covenant so that he can rise again and marry her anew under a different covenant? Marry her and she comes pure and spotless with no scarlet letter. Kind of important stuff. It is. It is. But, but ought that, knowing that, how should we treat legalism? Do you know, you know what legalism right, is, right? So if you run into somebody and they're like, well, I, you know, I used to be a lot more loosey-goosey about my Christianity, but then I realized that you've got to take off on Saturday and, and all this. Maybe you've met people who they begin to swing pretty far right and they start really embracing prohibitions and requirements from the Bible. And they see that as, as growth in holiness. Have you met anybody like that? Maybe you've been like that. Yeah. So how do you, how do you respond to that? Normally, I'm not saying how you should, but how do you, how do you tend to? Yeah. 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 So you asked, what if that's what they need to do to feel close to God? And, you know, there's room for that, I think, in Romans 14. It's, it's when people start talking about it as though it's a requirement for everybody. And um, I don't know. What do you, what do you all think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you can make a personal vow or something, but um, the problem, and we're going to talk about the problem with rules, um, that they tend to exacerbate problems, moral issues. Whatever you resist persists. And so uh, oftentimes these kind of arbitrary prohibitions we take hold of become a distraction from the stuff we really need to deal with. Right? <laughs> right? Well, he's, he's setting us up for it, though. He wants us to understand that there's no shred. He wants to leave no shred of law-keeping for us. He says we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I think that's the answer to your first question. The question was, how do you live the Christian life? What's the standard? And then it was A and B. A was. The, 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 the overarching question was, how shall I live the Christian life? 
the first one was what's the standard and the second one was the what's the means and and paul just said we serve in the new way of the spirit that seems like that's the means Okay, so the standard is not the law, but the new way of the Spirit. Yep, yep. So, point one, and I, I, here's the thing, is I think a lot of Christians go around and they see grace as a way of covering up their rule violations. Whatever rules you have in your mind, and you get through a day and you think, well, I broke three of my rules, or I broke the same rule three times. And grace is the thing that forgives that rule breaking, Okay. But if Paul is right, right. But if Paul is right, he's saying that grace invites us into a different relationship with God apart from rules, therefore apart from rule breaking. So you don't get to the end of the day and go, God, I really let you down here, here, and here. You get to the end of the day and you say, Thank you, God, that you love me and that you're holding me close. Um and that may sound dangerous, but I think we're going to really see why it's more dangerous to do it the other way. Okay, so it, I think Christians, we really have, have, we think we're getting energy from guilt, <laughs> right? Just feel bad enough about what you did and you won't do it again. And it seems that we've been taken into a new kind of a relationship where there, I think there are there's such a thing as sin, but it doesn't, it's not about violating a prohibition. It's a totally different kind of a, a way of living. Okay. So, and that's maybe another conversation, but all that to say is, is that that's how free we are of, of rules. That Jesus came to die so that he could set us free from rules. It would have been completely nuts for him to then write another set of rules. Do we see that that just doesn't make any sense at all? Yeah. So, so you're so you're saying that um, Jesus didn't just die to do away with the Jewish law, but to do away with any sort of moral or religious law as being instrumental in a religious person's life, in a believer's life. That's that's to me that's like a new idea. It's like it's not just he put away the Jewish law; he put away law as the way to live uh, a faithful life. All <laughs> right. Religion as, as we understand it. Okay. So let's get to the uh, down to the next section then, because he's going to explain why, he, why God did away with law, why he went to so much trouble to become a human, to die, so that we would no longer be an adulteress but a widow, and then we could marry a new husband, him. <laughs> you know, the beauty of that. I mean, it's just, it's just elegant, right? It's a lot of trouble to go to. So we owe it to him to be free of law. Okay. I, I want us to, you know, I don't want us to be like, oh, that's too bad. I, I, I hope that person gets more free. We need to be like, no, you know, hit him in the head and say, you know, anything else. I mean, that's how Paul is like to the Corinthians. He's like, hey guys, stop going down and having sex with the prostitutes at the pagan shrine. To the Galatians, he's like, right what's the difference what were they doing they were going back to the law so slap on the nose for going and having sex with the prostitutes at the pagan shrine freak out and eviscerate somebody for taking on a rule do we get paul's values are maybe a little different from the way we often practice christianity 
Okay, and, and so the reason for that is is that laws are poison. They they're poison to our soul, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because of how we are. Okay, so does anybody want to read? Uh, I don't know what's the best place to go. Let's go like seven through thirteen, maybe, and then we'll go fourteen through twenty-five. So seven through thirteen, any takers? Okay, so seven through, okay, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law did, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. How many verses? 13. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. But that which is good then became death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. One question on this, how does Paul define sin? How is he using that word? Law breaking. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah. He's personifying it. He says sin seizing the opportunity. So he says he's speaking of it as something that's there. It put him to death. And this isn't a new thing. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, Cain offers a sacrifice that is not pleasing. And, and it says that his face was downcast. He was angry. And God said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do right, won't you be received? And he says, but as it is, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to have you. So sin has been something more than just a violation. It's included, it's a manifestation of it, but it's, a, it's an entity, right? And so he's, he's speaking of it as something that's alive. Now, what is it using to kill us? The law, right? It's using it, right? It's, it's like that's the, you know, laws don't kill people. Sin kills people, right? But it uses the law to do it, okay? So... Somebody want to read 14 through 20? Let's just go through 24 and we'll leave a cliffhanger there. 14 through 24. For we know 
I'm sorry, I'm in a, a new revised standard version, the not really saved version. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law, that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the, the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Oh, yeah. So, how does Paul define death here? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's being separated from yourself. So it... Uh, well, earlier he said that, that the law killed him. So now I'm thinking he's getting down to where he's saying, this is the circumstance. This is what it's like for the law to kill me. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what it means to be dead. To want to do good and to do evil. Right? To not want to sin, but to do it anyway. In James chapter 2, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So he's assuming that death is the separation of body and spirit. Do you think this is a separation of body and spirit? So sin is working a separation between body and spirit. They're going two different directions. So, with my, sorry, with my spirit or with my mind, I want to do what is good, but my body is going another direction. That's the separation you're talking about? Okay. I want you to refer to um, the Genesis story here, like you did in the podcast the other day, describing spiritual death. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys know the story where God says the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And then Adam lived another 900 years and had children. And so there wasn't really the day that he ate it, was it? Um, yeah, yes, it was. Right? What did change when they ate it? You remember that? Yeah. Now, in... Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says that the man and, the, and his wife were both naked and they weren't ashamed. Soon as they eat the fruit, what happens? They were ashamed, right? So do, does that not sound like maybe your actions and your values have parted company? That you're, you're not integrated in whole as a person. If you're carrying shame and regret because you've done something that was against your saner values. So with Adam and Eve, and ever since then, 
you know, Paul speaks, he says, I was alive once apart from the law. Well, how are you alive apart from the law? Well, you don't know the good thing to do, man. <laughs> so you're not split. You're not split in half. You know, you're, you're just partying on and you don't feel bad about it and let the good times roll. So you see how the law can bring about death. It's not the solution. If death is the separation of my spirit and body, the law isn't the solution. It's the problem. And he says, but God gave the law, right? Because certainly living a life of just hedonism and without any sort of regard is, isn't the goal, is not the point, right? So there are, has anybody ever read the tract, The Four Spiritual Laws? You're familiar with that? So what are they? Does anybody, someone want to tell us what they are? You feel real confident? Number one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I know that. That's right. Yeah. Number two is you've sinned. Yeah. Jesus died for your sin. And pray this prayer. Right. Or whatever the fourth one is. You have to believe in him. Um, so those are the four spiritual laws. But those are kind of made up by Bill Bright. And uh, they're fine, I guess. But Paul talks about four spiritual laws in the, at the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next one. Okay. So I want us to... I want us to try to find the the four spiritual laws okay beginning in verse 23 he says well let's go back to 21 okay so he says so i find this law at work although i want to do good evil is right there with me so there's a law at work what does that law say Although I want to do good, evil is with me. He's saying this is a law that what you resist persists, that the more you try to kick something, the deeper its hold seems to become. He's saying this is a law of human behavior. He says, this is what I've found in, in myself, he says. Okay. Doesn't mean that we can't maybe stop a thing for a while or whatever, but as, it, as that action becomes more evil and prohibited in our minds, it's going to still call to us from the shelf. It's why very legalistic groups generally have very, very dark underbellies. Okay? Because there's a law at work. And the law is, it says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay? We haven't named this law yet. We just know what the law says. So there's another law here. He says, for I find... In my, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Okay? And so, this could be the law of Moses, but I think it's any law that we perceive as being from God because of how these dynamics work. You know, it doesn't really matter if you just, if you think that God requires you to not use electric lights through the day, and you're just sure that that's true. That law will become something that it just goes to work on you. Okay? So I find that, and he says, but I, I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin. How many laws are we at? Number two is the law of God, okay? Any law that we perceive as being from God. So he's saying that there's a law at work in me, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I delight in God's law in my mind, 
But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. That's three. Right. So what we know in between 22 and 23, there's God's law and there's the law of sin. And we know that, there, that this law in between them that makes me, it wages war against the law of my mind and makes me a prisoner. It's neither the law of God nor the law of sin. Do we see that? Okay, so he says, I delight in God's law, and I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Okay, the law of his mind is what? God's law, right? Because he's saying, I delight in it. It's in my mind. Throughout it, he's saying, in my mind, I love God's law, right? So the law of his mind is God's law. And he's saying, but there's another law that's waging war against the law of my mind, and it makes me a prisoner to the law of sin. So there's a law that is not the law of God, nor is it the law of sin. And he's already said above what it was. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay? So, he is. So there are three spiritual laws so far. The law of God, the law of sin, and the law of death. The way they work how do you think they work with each other? Maybe somebody else talk a minute. Anybody have an idea about how these? Because these three do interplay, and that's what gets us. Law of God, love, law of sin, and law of death. Anyone? The, the, the law of death is the law of the disintegration of, of me. I, my spirit is separated from my body. I want to do good, but I can't do good. That's the law of death. Hang on. Yeah, this law, this law of death is this interplay between the law of God and the law of sin. And it is this separation of myself into the, that which really wishes I could do well and that which happens to do evil. Okay? Right. Alex has got to figure it out. <laughs> Trying to formulate that in my, my own head. So it's kind of like the, the law of gravity, right? So... You got two different objects of, of mass that have a relationship between each other, and that, that force that draws them together is, is gravity. So I'm just thinking that you're asking, what is that interplay? So if we, you know, we in our mind we have the law of God, that we want it, but in our body we have this law of sin, the, the law of death is what's continuing to kind of tear us apart. It's kind of maybe the opposite of gravity in that case. Instead of bringing us together, it's tearing us apart between my mind and what, what's actually at work in my body. And so I, I find myself constantly you know, torn asunder. I can't do what I want to do, I'm, but I'm trapped in this body, right? Verse 25, you're basically quoting verse 25. He says, thanks be to God. So he says, who will rescue me from this dead body? I mean, if we need to be saved and the resurrection is the means of our salvation, then our problem is we're dead. Okay? If, if being disintegrated like this is, is, is death, then our problem is, is death. But Jesus has the power of life. He's the answer to the problem of death. Okay? And so he says, who will rescue me from this dead body? Now, the dead body is one that says, I want to do good, but I do evil. Right? That's the dead body. He says, who will rescue me from it? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in my flesh or sinful nature, if you're in NIV, 
a slave to the law of sin. Okay. Now that's, we had three spiritual laws. I said there were four. So let's go to four. Six spiritual laws. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll go back to that. Um, okay. So if the, the linchpin here is the law of God, do we, do we see that it's the law of God that began? It's the catalyst that began to fracture Paul's personality. He says, I was alive once until the law came. Then the law came and I began to aspire to obey it. And when I did, I found that there was something in me that did not want to go that way. And that, that the more I pushed and tried and struggled, I found that thing pulling me the other direction. And so this law of death began to work in my flesh. And so the problem was, really, part of it, a big part, is the law of God. That's, so, therefore, in Romans 8.1, I'm going to sneak over there real quick. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's God's answer to this conundrum? Well, but first, to do away with the law of God. There is therefore no condemnation. Because you can't, you can't build a new life on top of a dead, a dead foundation. You have to. That system is dead. Paul's saying that whole system is dead. So we have to be able to say, before we can move past it, we have to say, in our heart of hearts, there is no condemnation. You see why that's so important? We've got to get the wedge out before our, our personality can begin to heal. So we quit carrying around this kind of self-abignation, oh, you know, and, and we start just rejoicing in, our, in the love of our God and and that has a lot more energy in it. Um, so, and yes, you're right. Um, is it Carla? Yeah. So you're right. It is the spirit. So here's law number four. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and the law of death. So he took away the law of God. And he's given us a new law, the law of the spirit of life, to undo the spirit of death. and I mean, the law of death and the law of sin in us. And so sanctification becomes a resurrection, an ongoing resurrection. Our goal is no longer to keep up with a moral standard, but to lay down our life for the sake of love and receive into the vacuum the resurrection power of Jesus. If you skip down, and I'm stealing your thunder for whoever's doing eight, but I, I want us to get this. He says um, in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your resurrection bodies to your mortal bodies. Which bodies are those? The ones you're sitting in. Paul's saying, my body was dead. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And now he gives us the answer. He's saying resurrection power is flowing into those who are following the Spirit. 
And these bodies, these bodies will have life. And if death is disintegration, life is integration. And that's why he says the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Romans 7 slash through 8, 11, I guess. Because in Romans 7, he talked about how with his mind, he intended to do the, 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 uh, the will of God, but he saw in his, he's, he's tormented because he can't do it. In Romans 8, he's saying the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So you're going to still feel dead. You're going to experience death. Paul's not saying it's solved. Jesus came and it's solved. What he's saying is, is that sin is now condemned. You're no longer condemned. Sin is on death row. And the more we offer ourselves in self-forgetting love and in this kind of confident trust to God, the more we will regain our integration. That, that resurrection is an ongoing thing. We're being resurrected. You remember in Philippians 3 where Paul says, um, I, I press on, right? I, I do everything so that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, he says, I, you know, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being coming conformed to him in his death. But, and then he says, so that I could attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, if, if this is after Jesus comes back and people come out of the grave and he says, I haven't gotten there yet. Well, what hope do any of us have? Right, But if the resurrection from the dead is the goal of the Christian life, it is sanctification. It is to be a completely integrated person through a, a constant baptism in the suffering of Christ and the power of God and the suffering of Christ and the power of God. And that with every revolution, we become more integrated, that the, that the law of death is suppressed and the law of the spirit of life continues until we have life in our mortal bodies. So that seems to be both the standard of the Christian life. Is it in total, you know, is your behavior in total trust of the Father? And is it in self-forgetting love of him and other people? You, you do that, you're being integrated. You're being changed. Quit worrying about all the, the stuff. Embrace no condemnation as a means to become holy. So you asked a question, you walked us through that and answered it, and now I want to open it up to questions we may have as we hear that. Maybe that strikes us as strange or new and different, uh, or it creates a puzzle in your mind. So please, by all means. It can also just be like, add, add to it, comment on it. Yeah, it reminds me um, of Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence and um, also a lot of the teaching that we've been going through with the um, identity exchange stuff that we're in, it's the connection with God that's the focus. It's not, and it's the focus on God. And so Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of the Lord, he would try to keep his eyes on Jesus as much as he could all day long. And he would sin, and he would not focus on the sin and he wouldn't bemoan that for too long. He would be like, oh, yep, messed up. Okay. And quickly confess, quickly get his eyes right back on on Jesus, right back on God, so that um, his focus was not the sin, like you were saying, that it, what you focus on is what you're going to 
be tempted to do or whatever, hard to be free from, but the focus is on God. And um, when we are living and struggling in sin, looking at what am I connected to? Am I connected to my flesh now or am I connected to the source, which is God? So it's just something I've been thinking about. Yeah, I th- I think one thing that I keep thinking about as, you know, I'm processing through you know everything you're just saying is, um, you know, ha- having a background in, in church ministry, how, how often, you know, we've made um, discipleship or discipleship programs or, you know, kind of set the standard of being a mature Christian all about like working on our sin. But I mean, what Paul's saying here is that the more you try to work on your sin, the worse you're going to get <laughs> because it, it, it just, it just, um, you're just bringing more condemnation on yourself. You're just going to become more and more aware of how you're not able to keep God's standard. And so, um, we do, you know, I think you're right. It's just like, what you're saying about brother Lawrence is we have to completely change, <laughs> change our perspective. And that's how, he, how he's telling us that we have to consider ourselves, you know, completely dead to that, but alive in Christ. So that that becomes our focus is this living connection that we have with God, the father through Jesus. And so I, I I'm just, realizing you know how much from my own my own background history i'm like i don't know if we were really helping people learn to have a have a better connection with god rather than to try to just keep some rules you know so i guess some of that's just repenting of that (laughs) for myself but also like okay you know i i you know i want to you know i might realize that for myself but i want to make sure that when I'm speaking to other believers that I'm not, um, unintentionally putting rules on them. Like even just saying something as simple as like, well, have you been reading your Bible lately? You know, it's, of course we all want to read our Bible more. That's not the problem. But you know, as soon as I pose that question to somebody, it's, I'm putting kind of this tacit, rule out there have you been keeping this you know this rule that we all subconsciously have that we should be reading our bible more yes or no no i have no you haven't oh okay condemnation you know and so that's that power that's at at work that you know paul's describing and so it just makes me want to be more aware how i um, approach that for myself but also how i um, talk to other believers or other people to not be subtly, you know, pushing people back into some rules, keeping conformity kind of system, because that's not going to produce real life. When you were asking how we live the Christian life, um, a song popped up in my head that I had heard the other day that says the whole point of our existence is to know that we are loved. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, but but my existence is supposed to be like finding my purpose and doing all these good things for God and, and you know, all these other missions in life that I've set out for myself. <laughs> but like, what if the 
whole entire point of my existence is just to be know to know how much I'm loved. And that's what makes me not sin or not go into death traps. <laughs> like, and getting that to the depth of my being. Like, because I don't live in a day where I don't condemn myself. <laughs> Every single day, I'm like, oh, I did that wrong. I did that wrong. And so I guess... My question is, like, how do you get out of that cycle when maybe you have been a rule follower, you have, like, you thought you were doing the right thing by following all the rules, but you're still trapped and feeling bad about yourself or not feeling the depth of God's love. I mean, even like with my husband, I'm like, are you sure you really love me? Like, <laughs> I don't get the depth of how much he loves me because I'm always remembering my shortcomings. Well, I guess a couple of things is um, sin when we say we sin, I, I want us to be just careful that we understand that. So in Romans 14, Paul tackles an issue. He says, some of you think you can't eat meat sacrificed to an idol, right? And some of you think it's okay. And that, and the answer is yes, right? Now, we don't like that. We're like, I mean, he even says, he even sides and he says, it doesn't matter, right? Okay, now I, I want us to get that, that we don't do that, <laughs> you know? So should I do this or this? Can you thank God for it, he asks. Can you do it in a good conscience? So the, the action was immaterial. The motive was everything. He gets to the end of Romans 14, and he says in verse 23, whatever does not come from faith is sin. So if I sign up to serve in kids ministry because I feel bad about myself. I've sinned. I want us to understand that. Okay. If, if we, you know, if I, if I drink three beers with some guys because we're having a good time and I'm building relationships and I'm thanking God for every beer, I've not sinned. Do we get that the action is immaterial did you do it with a good conscience? Did you do it in faith? Did you do it in love? The action is immaterial. Paul is very bold in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Corinthians 10. Everything is lawful. NIV tries to soften the blow. It tries to make that what the Corinthians said. But there's no basis in the Greek for that. He says, everything is lawful for me. But to your point and, and to uh, a, a couple of you, but he says, but not everything's helpful. You see? So we don't, we don't avoid things because they're prohibited. We just say, is, is that helpful? Is this, you know, I, I've now been given the big picture. I know reality. So I can live in concert with reality. I, I, I use the analogy like, why does a three-year-old not eat a package of Oreos at once? He's under law. It's completely arbitrary, though, right? 
Like if he eats a package of Oreos, he may be fine. And he's like, you liked me. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Now, why do, why do you not, if you don't, eat a whole package of Oreos at once? Right? Right? It's lawful, but it's not helpful. Right? So eat the... Right, right, right. But you see, you see the way the world works. You have the big picture. And, and Jesus is saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth being the nature of reality, that God is your Father. Right? And so law is a construct. It's just an overlay. We're not supposed to be relating to it anymore, but it takes time to get past so you're still going to feel bad here and there when you do it. And don't violate anything that makes you feel bad. Paul says, you can't do that in faith. If, but if you have enough faith, I mean, Paul was like, look, I grew up and, and you definitely didn't go down there to, to that butcher shop and buy your steak. I, you know, but Paul had this encounter with Jesus, man. It shattered most of the residue of the law for him. And so he's like, you know, I'll take a T-bone, right? He just, he just jumped right over it because he had enough faith. It's faith that gets us. Faith isn't just something that allows us to do daring things for God. Faith is something that allows us to exercise freedom where we where we previously had a scruple. That's It's only faith that does that. Right? But think about what kind of a healthy life, if somebody is just fueled by the confidence that God loves them and their behavior is, is commensurate, because it's really... I mean, this kind of life, it's about authenticity, you know? So whatever is not a faith is sin. If that becomes the essence of our, our ethic, it, it's going to allow us to live very different lives from each other. We're going to be a very diverse group, but we'll be bound together. We won't be judging one another, even though we differ in our actual configuration. Isn't that great? It's just genius, right? God's a genius in all this. Well, we do have that vote about marijuana on Tuesday, and it seems to be relevant. It's like we're all up in arms about it, against it, or in support of it. Some before, there's the question about what's good for society, and maybe that's a different question. Like, what what laws are good for society? Maybe that's a different question. But the question of whether you whether you, whether you whether you light up a joint or not is relevant to what you're saying. I would say it's lawful and it's not helpful. Paul says, "Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit." I just don't. I don't think it's possible to be sober on pot. And so, the, to the degree that you do that, you're just displacing the Holy Spirit. And and so, it's just about consequence. It's not like God's like black mark, you know. Uh, but it's just, is this, is this in pursuit of holiness? Uh, and maybe it is in some people's case. I'm never going to judge somebody over that, that. That was my question because I think to hold you to your own standard, you'd have to say to the person who says, for me, it is helpful. You would have to say, I, I believe you. I release you. I don't judge you. You're not under law. I'm not under law. We both live before God to, uh, and our responsibility is to have a clear conscience before him and to live by faith and to not live by law. I, I have a good friend who has smoked 
marijuana habitually for probably 30 years or close to 25. And, um, you know, he beats himself up for it and stuff like that, but I don't, <laughs> I'm like, dude, why don't you just work on other stuff? Cause he, you know, he keeps trying to quit and then going back and trying to quit and going back. And it's just like, man, just work on your relationship with God. Quit focusing on this. It's obviously not working, <laughs> you know? And look at, look at ways that you can live for him in, in, you know, and other things. And this will probably drop off. Um, so that was, that's what I would hope for him, but I would certainly not encourage anybody who had no history with it to begin using it for recreation, just because it, I don't think it's spiritually helpful, but I wouldn't judge anybody who maybe they were sick or they needed it for other, you know, medicinal reasons and stuff like that. I, because it's not, there's nothing inherently evil. It is. It is. Right. It is. Sure. But my coming down on him and stuff isn't going, to, it's going to intensify that stronghold. It's not going to release it. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I've certainly tried. Right. I've, I've certainly tried, but, but he doesn't need to, in the, in the meantime, he doesn't need to, um, banish himself from God's presence. And I think that's what he's doing. And that's what makes it difficult for a lot of people who have recurring sins is that they just put themselves in the penalty box. Um, and that just doesn't, it doesn't serve any purpose. Right. <laughs> They're allowing themselves to be condemned of their own actions um, based on that kind of disconnect between the, the, law, the, the law of God and how they know that in their own mind and the law of sin and death. So, yeah. I'll, I'll pathologize him. He is suffering from youth group spirituality. If you're a youth leader, your job is to help these kids not go to jail. Help them be pure until they're married. You know, I mean, those, that's the pull, right? That, that's the, that's if you really got to get in these kids, a, a set of, of moral imperatives. And for him, he just can't get past that. This is about morals. And he just, you know, it, it's not, I don't think it's so much a, a sinful history as it is just this attempt to produce moral teenagers by giving them a litany of, of absolute taboos. You know, I mean, we, that was what we did. It's like, Hey, you can do this, but you can't do that. You know, you can do this, but you better never do that. You know? And, and, and we really, we're trying to make sure that they have a good four or five absolute taboos, you know, and that's fine. I guess. I mean, obviously little kids as you're raising them, there have to be prohibitions. But but we have to begin to transition them to this idea of grace, and it's just so it's been very hard for him to get. And any freedom he's had has not been through feeling bad about pot, but through embracing God's grace in just small doses here and there, just getting through that screen. Thanks, Nathan. I think we'll wrap it up, but let's just wrap it up with a review of the four spiritual laws. <clears throat> so we've got the law of sin and the law of sin, I'm doing this for me, but I think it might help everybody else. The law of sin is that there's this power in the world and it's coming for us. 
it's and it's in us. Okay. And the law of God is, you know, what we ought to do, what God says, what the rules are. And then the law of death is that I want to do the law of God, but the law of sin keeps me from it. And that's the law of death. I'm experiencing death, disintegration. Is that, am I right? And then the fourth law is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from all that because there's no condemnation, which has done away with the law. Jesus is risen and we're now united to him. So we're alive in him and we live by the spirit and by faith. We have to, we live as though we are in heaven already. In Ephesians, he says, he has seated us with him at the right hand of God. What, what is the obedience in heaven like? Are they avoiding drugs? Are they trying to, you know, are they worried about these morally, moral things? Or are they just adoring one another, worshiping, lost in trust? You know, I, I think that it's this higher, higher ethic that these other things become irrelevant. Hang on. So through this lens, how do you see a list like the Ten Commandments? Yeah, well, I mean, Paul specifically mentions the Tenth Commandment. He says, I was alive once apart from the law, but when the law came, sin revived and I died. I would not have known coveting unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And then I began to covet all over the place, you know. And so, yes. What, what Paul says in Romans 5, he says sin, he says sin was in the world. That if, if we see sin as an entity, he's saying it was, it was in the world. It was killing people everywhere. He says, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. So sin and transgression aren't always the same. Transgression is a manifestation of sin. And, and he says, but then the law came to increase transgression. He says there was one prohibition for humankind. Don't eat from the fruit. <laughs> and what do we do? Right? And so he says, all humanity died from one transgression. The law came to bring about billions of transgressions. God gave the law to give us things to transgress, according to Romans 5. I, I want us to get past moralism to the point that we realize God is so beyond it that he's like, I'm going to give them this law so that they'll violate the crap out of it. That's Romans 5, okay? I'm not making this up. And he says, so that we're, we're sin abounded. Grace would abound all the more. Man, you find a legalist. You find somebody who's just been slaving away to get to heaven and you give them some grace. They're going to take off like a rocket, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but then he says, you know, he gets over in six and he says, but so we should be sin to increase grace. And he says, no, because there's, there's a set of principles. Like if you give yourself to sin, it's going to take hold of you again. Right. By the way, the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life is not an evangelistic message. Romans 626 is telling Christians, if you give yourself to sin, it will pay you in death. But if you trust God, he will give you life. That's a message to Christians. Yeah. Right. It's, it's this Romans 8 life. He's saying, yes, right. So you don't need a law. You just realize you give yourself to sin enough times, it will take you. As a Christian, don't be stupid. Everything's lawful. Not everything's helpful. 
right? Right, because that's what adults live with. <laughs> we don't need laws. We're adults. And that's pretty awesome. But yes, the role of the Ten Commandments was, one, I think there was a societal role, and that was to keep that Jewish society on the rails. Laws are great for society. They're just really bad for the individual. So for society, it kept them on the rails somewhat. But for the individual, it was a shattering, destructive thing. But it was only to reveal how bad sin was. As Paul says, the law isn't bad. It's just sin used it to just tear me, you know, into pieces. And that was God's plan. I guess when I, I think of this also in terms of, well, what what do you do then? And we've probably discussed this before and people are probably tired of me asking this, but as far as, because um, I'm kind of experiencing this personally, if you do have a brother in Christ who is in sin and how do you address that and and not be a legalist there you go not be a legalist um, I guess that's the simplest way of putting it yeah well it gets back to what April was saying and that was it's good counsel that is this person flourishing you know, are they alive? Uh, that's the kind of thing. I, but maybe they need to hear and really get the message of grace. A lot of times people are stuck in sin, not because they don't treat their sin seriously enough, but because they really don't trust. And, and Brooke, you said something uh, that when someone said, "We're the point of life is just to learn how loved you are, and, and that rubbed you the wrong way. And I think one of the reasons it rubs us the wrong way is because it takes a ton of faith to say, you know, none of this matters <laughs> except that. I mean, because... We've built some moral capital, and we aspire to be basically good people. But all of that is is kind of building our own bank account, and we're scary. We're scared of letting people free and just saying, you know, what really matters is knowing how loved you are. Maybe to go to this guy. The the problem is, is especially with people who struggled with sin issues, it, they think if they take their hand off just for a second, that those demons are going to come flooding out and destroy them. And so they continue to really they they. They push back against the, the idea of grace because they're sure that if they were to crack the door and let it in, that that sin would come flooding in behind it. They'd be off the rails, and, and their life would be even worse than it is today. It's why it takes faith, right? It's why it takes faith. And so I, I would—Paul says something really interesting about his role in people's lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Not that I lord it over your faith. Number one, what's the authority for every Christian? Not that I lord it over your faith. Your faith is your authority. I don't, get to, I don't get to countermand it. Doesn't matter who I am. Okay? He says, not that I lord it over your faith. He says, but I am a helper of your joy. So you're like, are you moving toward joy or not? If you're not, that's a symptom. It, it, just use a disease model. You know, if, if your life is trending toward joy, then you're getting healthier, right? If your life is, is moving away from joy, you're, you're getting sicker. And if you love that person, you're going to say, okay, let's, let's figure out, you know, let, let, let's get a grip on this. But sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's about radical grace, radical honesty that a lot of times people are just afraid to go after because they're sure it will just destroy them. And they have to trust 
So that's what I would encourage this other person who's in sin. I would just say, you know what? Are you, are you want, do you want to just right now, just flip it over. Let's just start over. Let's just like, you're not an addict. You're not doing this. None of that. It's over. It's gone. Let's just start now. And if tomorrow we have to start again, that's tomorrow's problem. Well, then that was their choice. But you have to respect that because the law of faith says if, if faith is your Lord, it's, your, it's the standard in you, then I can never transgress that. If that person's not ready to put their faith, then I can't, they, they've chosen. Yes, of course. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one verse twenty four. Yeah, I just I love that because he's he's very careful. Uh, Christina once thought Paul was being kind of underhanded, manipulative, like in Philemon. He's like, not that I'm telling you to do this, but do it. You know, and he's talking to Philemon, but he's he's very careful not to be domineering, and and so it comes across. He really wants Philemon to take Onesimus back. It's really important, but he, he is pulling himself back. He is pulling back on the reins and saying, Onesimus, you know, you know the right thing to do. I'm counting on you to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Time for bed. This is the end of the podcast. And if you want to stick around for a few minutes and ask more questions, you can. But thanks, Nathan, for coming. Thanks, everybody, for being part of our podcast. If you want to follow up with further questions, we have an email. You can send an email to discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com. Thanks. Thanks.